Welcome to That Movie Was, a movie discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined by my co-host, Michael. How's it going, everyone? Every time we pick an episode to watch, or we pick a movie to watch every episode and then discuss. In this episode, that movie was Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little tongue-tie, a little tongue-tie. But yes, that's the movie. Everyone... This was Matt's choice. <laughs> I had nothing to do with this one. <laughs> so, and I know if, if you've been following us on a couple of our past episodes, we've been following like a very similar action type 80s film for at least the last couple of episodes. But <laughs> this one is the cake. It's the ice cream. It's the cherry on top. It is the whole shebang. <laughs> the creme de la creme. <laughs> it is the creme de creme because I have to be honest, I came into this with no prior knowledge to the film. Um, not even to the, Matt made a great point about the main character and he, and he pops up in a lot of very like out of context main things, especially back when, you know, we were growing up, we were watching them on like tele television and stuff like that, the different channels. But, um, this when coming into it with no prior like understanding of it was a <laughs> monumental like a terrible film probably i'd rate it as one of the worst that i've ever seen and i've seen some pretty bad films but it you gotta admit it's an entertaining film it's uh it's so bad it's good well, I mean, like, it's entertaining in the sense that, oh, no, my internet's down. <laughs> I don't have any good porn to watch. Let me throw on this smut yes, film right you now. You will see a lot of boobs in this film. So make sure you're not wearing it together actually, with, uh, your parents, listeners. Your parents, girlfriend, grandma, anyone. <laughs> Potential <laughs> employer. Your this is your 3 a.m. I'm alone in my room in the dark and I flipped through the channels and found this dirty old one, this dirty old dog. <laughs> I actually kept track. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten separate occasions in a 90 minute film where you see at least some titties and some of them are going on just straight into like diving into yeah. sex. You know, we are we are basically you know, if she started unbuckling that belt right now, there would need to be a sensor bar coming across the screen. That's how close we are right there. I will there. say it's not very erotic, though. Like, I'm, I'm laughing too hard during everything that's happening on screen. <laughs> well, they just come at such, like... Um, surprising moments just kind of like um like for example one of the sex scenes that i was mentioning that takes place with rowdy and donna like halfway through the film their their friend their the other girl eddie she's she's getting tortured by the yeah, bad guy that and that's weird having <laughs> a sex scene and like i'm just like you obviously don't care about this girl that much like you just you know there was some major pheromones, some aphrodisiacs. They just got, they just got through having some chocolate strawberries and shucking some oysters. Now they just can't handle their sexual yes, urges. That's the thing. They they know that Edie has been kidnapped, and they know that she's probably being tortured. And they're like, "Well, let's go over there tomorrow." <laughs> because <laughs> in her defense, though, in her defense, she is getting tortured by like who no was it? Lady? Uh, yeah, nunchuck lady who gave her a she little a bit name. of that. The, <laughs> uh, it's like that BDSM slap, that little. Psh, I don't even know. Um, wasn't she Julie Strain? I or I, I was gonna say Patty Cakes. 
<laughs> but I think I'm wrong. I don't think it's Patty. Dufek. I don't know. There's a lot of names on the cast, and I only I you know what names are not important in this movie because <laughs> no, they really aren't. It's to the point where two of the henchmen's names is one is earring because he has a skeleton earring, and then the other one. <laughs> has an unnatural obsession with throwing frisbees with girls on the beach is shades because he wears reflective shades. <laughs> cool. I'm he sorry. was born with sunglasses. You're going to have to get through a lot of laughing. You have to get through a lot of laughing with me. So I'm sorry about that prior. This movie has many moments. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into the moments, before we get into any of the plot, let's talk about what crazy person came up with this movie that is a man named andy andy sedaris was the writer director and uh i know okay tell me i'm wrong okay i like maybe this is a little too early to be saying this stuff like that but like before any prior knowledge to andy sedaris and everything like that watching into this film like he's like i'm gonna just say it straight up. i'm gonna be real with you matt because i'm a real person i like to be honest is he sexist? Yes, absolutely. Like, it's he's like he had there were so many occasions where like like to take for example the restaurant owner like that guy had to have gotten slapped so many times by the girls <laughs> offset because of the lines that he had to say during the film. It was like <laughs> he was it was just disgusting to listen to him and to think that like Andy Sedaris here was our, the writer of it all. I just ha- thought halfway through the film, I was like, yeah, this guy is getting away with a lot. Even for 1987, which I get, you know, that's like 40 years ago. You know, still women have come a lot since then. But even still, crazy, well, crazy to think of the things that he put in that It's a script. little confusing because, yeah, I would say, I mean, all of the dialogue and the content of the movie <laughs> and everything. I mean, yeah, it does have a lot of sexism a lot of under i mean you know like basically the women in the movie are there to be eye candy but at the same time i mean two of the leading roles are females who can kind of hold their own i mean it's not like uh it's not like they're just you know waiting for like the men to rescue them or anything so action scene to cut so they can just immediately like remove their clothes i'm there with you but like even that being said, even that being said, like they didn't, they did need the guys to come rescue them That's in the right. film. That did happen. And then if you just, just look, I'm on the line right now and I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the movie poster that they decided to create for this film. And you do have Taryn and Donna, which a little off topic. I just, what kind of name is Taryn? Now? <laughs> I <laughs> think Andy thought it sounded the, you exotic. Have, Exactly. You have all the creative ability to think of any female name you want. You come up with T A R Y N. <laughs> no one in no one in the world is named that. I don't know. But anyway, you back to my point. You got these two main uh, protagonist girls that are like the main stars of the film. They're in about eighty five percent of the movie. But the main portrait on the movie poster is Ron Moss, and he's only in the film for about like a quarter of the yeah he comes in about i mean halfway through the movie would you say or maybe like yeah well he comes in halfway through the movie but then think of all the times that like he's just not that's true too like he has like that 
I would not put Ron Moss as the number one protagonist in the film under like compared to Donna. Donna's in it like twice as much. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, you know, it's obvious with the poster, they're trying to appeal to a certain audience and that's, you know, you think that the main, yeah, yeah, you know, babes with <laughs> four way rocket launchers. with machine gun. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, Hold it down. So, I mean, I get what Andy was doing. I get what the point was, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he had all the creative ability to like make this movie not <laughs> sound like some as a sexist pig, and he decided to be like, "No, I'm going to go the pig route." I don't know. It's a it's Schrodinger's sexism because it's both sexist and not right. sexist at the same time. But uh, so, I mean. At, it, Everything that you need to know about the man who is Andy Sedaris, you can find by looking at his series of films. The BBB series stands for Bullets, Bombs, and Boobs. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it also go by the uh, it's the GGG, which is Girls, Guns, and G Strings. Oh, that's it too. So I've also heard. <laughs> Yeah, so I heard him by both, but it's a uh, tw- a twelve piece movie set. Is, it is that 12? what it is? Okay, I I didn't know that there was a number. Yeah, to the, it. he has a lot of movie credits. That's a dirty wow. dozen. Yeah, I mean, this guy was really Made, churning stuff out between the eighties and the early nineties. It looks like right. It started in nineteen eighty five and went all the way until nineteen ninety eight. So to believe it or not, that as this one, particularly Hard Ticket to Hawaii, came out in 1987, so at the start of mm-hmm. the series. But they, <laughs> apparently it was so needed that not only were 10 other films made, because Hard Ticket to Hawaii was the second one, and but it went all the way until the early, almost 2000s. It almost went until the 2000s. And, you know, now you can get them in a box set at, you know, like your local thrift store for probably like less than a dollar a movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that. Um, I mean, it seems like in a lot of these movies, and I have never seen any of his movies outside of this one. Not that I wouldn't right. try and find them, but I, you know, they're not really <laughs> streaming anywhere. Let's say we know why you want them, Matt. We know why. You oh, because want of the schlock. Them. Yeah, I just want to see more of these, like. <laughs> awful dialogue that you know i'm sure andy sedaris thought that it was cool for somebody to say i want to suck the polish off your toes but <laughs> i just want more of that uh right b movie action but I, I will say i mean it seems like he uses a lot of the same actors between movies so at least they must not be completely turned off and creeped out by him on set or else they wouldn't come back no well you know why that it's because they're playboy playmates deal with a lot of creepy people anyway these are play these are i'm sure they do but yeah but they're playboy girls so like not only is this more towards their career choice which is basically you know like being playboy bunnies you know using their bodies to get famous and so now they're in these films but you know i that's what the whole uh, Andy Sedaris, you know, the Triple Bs were all about. We're just getting these outrageously gorgeous women to be in these like terrible films, but they're like action related. You know, this is the time when, like, we've done with our other episodes. Andy, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, uh, Rocky Balboa, you got all these huge action buff guys. It's the 80s. That's what, you know, the um, American people want to oh, see, yeah. I guess. 
Speaking of what people wanted to see, did you know that uh, before he started getting into directing and just uh, film in general, Andy Sedaris, he um, was actually pretty well known for uh, getting um, like filming ABC's Wide World of Sports, where I guess you would say he's the director, but, you know, just filming um, different basketball, football games and uh he was actually best known for inventing what's called the honey shot, which I you've seen it if you've ever watched like an NBA or an NFL game. But it's where the camera gets right up next to the uh, line of cheerleaders and just gives them all the screen time. So that is probably the least surprising thing that I've ever heard that Andy Sedaris was still being a little bit uh creepy and um oh, trying to bring yeah, sex exactly but he's doing it for the, you know it's what the people want it's what the people want but that you know actually it's great that you mentioned that fact because the whole time that we were i was watching that film i just couldn't uh, understand what the sports references were for like this guy that comes out of no what's oh, his name gosh, uh, uh, it's john jimmy, jimmy john, john the sportscaster yeah. Where is he in this film? What is his point? I don't understand it, but like he's got to do this it's sports interview, you know, with these quarter this quarterback and stuff like that. Almost gets fired, and then at the end of the film, manages to be with Taryn and goes to what? Uh, who's the main antagonist? The bad guy that they get we get introduced to at the last five minutes Jade, of the movie. I think. No, Jade was um, Rowdy's boss. Like, no, his you know his partner in crime. He was the one that was doing the kung fu. I'm looking, I'm looking, but Mr. Chang, thank you, Mr. Chang. You know, so look, I was saying, Jimmy John goes with Taryn. JJ. Played by a guy named ever. Larson. Better than. That's better than Ricky Bobby. Yeah, that is correct. That's, that's a better name than Ricky Bobby. <laughs> but anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is that this random sportscaster comes into play in this film that I just don't understand at all. And it makes sense from what Matt is saying. And they, this guy just joins them from a sportscasting and then goes to help like, see Mr. Chang fall out of his sweet building into the ground and just splats on the ground. And he's like, oh, you know, <laughs> that, I guess that shit happens when we're hanging out with Taryn. <laughs> So usually, yes, yeah, Jimmy John Jackson had absolutely nothing to do in the movie other than I think just padding it out to an actual movie length. I think we see that a lot with this movie is that mm-hmm. I, I feel like Andy Sedaris had about maybe 35 or 40 minutes of plot and content. And then he made up for it with unneeded sex scenes and jimmy john jackson (laughs) right right anything to just fill up extra screen time between like the the jumble of a plot this is because honestly it's amazing how and they managed to circle it around as and like trust me when i'm saying a circle from a start point to an end and it comes back around this is the most crooked sideways circle that like, it's like a third grader drew it with his opposite hand on the chalkboard. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> there are so many bumps and things along with this plot 
that just don't make sense, but at the end come around and you're like, oh, at least they wrapped up that little piece, <laughs> that little piece of evidence oh, or whatever, that little piece of plot. But yeah, it's this one's crazy, so, man. Listener, if you've listened to any of our past episodes, you know, it's usually at this point that we talk about who stars in the movie, the box office, the budget, the critics' reviews. And this episode is going to be a little bit different because the movie stars nobody that you've heard of. I don't even know if it had a box office uh, return. I have no idea what the budget was. And then critics' reviews are just going to be mixed based on <laughs> how drunk the critics yeah, whether were or not you're watching it. <laughs> Yeah, or you're looking at it from that lens of just like, okay, what kind of satire is this? Like, what can I really pull from this to make this like a cult <laughs> classic? But Matt's Matt's exactly like exactly right. Unless that is, you have an extensive research of the Playboy bunnies that took that took in the 1980s, then you'll recognize a few names here. But other than that, you're right. There's nothing that really makes this any sort of you know <laughs> like knowledgeable achievements or you know any sort of money return it it is what it is Andy Sardaris is he likes his boobies and you know he he and he got the action he got the action to go along with it that America loves (laughs) so I'm gonna read a uh, a quick synopsis after that listener you can decide if you want to watch the movie or not um I will say it's streaming right now on – I caught it on Vudu because it's uh, streaming for free there with ads. It's been on Tubi in the past, streaming with ads. It's also on Prime. Is it's it on actually? Prime. It's a buck. Oh, for a pay. Yeah, it's yeah. 99 cents. Yeah, it's 99 cents. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, well come on, 99 <laughs> It's an hour and a half of just – great you know laughing moments and wondering why you why you wasted your 99 cents i guess <laughs> there's a lot worse things oh yeah go spend 99 cents on gum uh oh trust me exactly <laughs> Angry like... birds um all right gum. So, uh, the synopsis and this is the best one that we've ever read on this show a man with a bazooka helps air freighters donna and taryn against drug smugglers and a snake and that is an accurate <laughs> synopsis. I there's no fault with that. Um, I just love how it doesn't go any further past like it's a drug dealers and a, and snake. a snake. You got two problems. You don't just got with the drug dealers a problem, but you got this snake, and, uh, and this snake did make its appearance. One of in them's the, film. the bigger villain in the movie, and it's not the drug smugglers. absolutely right if there's one if there's an actual true antagonist a true murdering fiend it's not drug dealers it's this snake this snake has some bad blood and is out for human blood (laughs) mutated snake all right so yeah listener if that sounds like something you might be interested in before we go into plot and spoilers pause the episode rejoin us after otherwise we're gonna dive right in so, <laughs> movie starts with uh, well, this takes place in Hawaii, obviously, uh, hard ticket to Hawaii, but uh, more specifically, I think it's Molokai. Yeah, so um, you can actually see at the end of the credits what they do is they think it's, it's a, Sheridan, um, right? a national park range. It's a, it's like a park range. So the Molokai uh, 
National Park. So basically, uh, you actually, I'm pretty sure they use the exact same shoots in the first Jurassic Park film when they're, you know, you get to see what would be like the Jurassic World or whatever like that. So that same nice, gorgeous waterfall. It's a very iconic Hawaiian like destination photo with where it's like just this huge jungle landscape, a big ginormous island that has like a very mountainous peak. And then at the top of the mountain is this like huge ginormous waterfall that falls through the crevice of the jungle. And, you know, it's super iconic, but you're, you're right. It takes place in Hawaii in this national I park. Say, right? I was really impressed by a lot of the like um, sort of uh, setup shots and like scenery shots. I mean, it, it was stuff that didn't look like they had used stock footage because, you know, the plane that they're flying is the, uh, molokai express or air freight or whatever that the uh donna and taryn run so i mean they had to have gotten a a plane and a helicopter and gotten these establishing shots right whatever like again we don't know what the movie budget was we don't know how much money it made Whatever budget they had that they were scraped together, they took it out of the screenwriting <laughs> and the the people that they were going to be paying the extras and stuff like that because they had to be getting paid squat. And they just decided to put it in all of the vehicles that they were using uh, to you know fly and drive around and stuff like that. And then pyrotechnics. Yes. That was basically anything to make it explode and stuff like Andy that. Andy Sedaris definitely uh, pumped in his life savings into these movies. And uh, you know what? I think it was a great return. <laughs> it had to be a great return because we're talking about That's it true. now. Uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes gave it like a 16%. <laughs> <laughs> and I think on IMDb, we're looking at like a 4 out of 10 between like critic and audience member views and stuff like that. But I mean, come on, these, this is a box set. This is, this is a box set that you would put right next to like the Lord of the Rings box set and like the James Bond box set, (laughs) (laughs) you know, if you're, if you're one of those avid DVD collectors and I know you guys are out there, this is definitely a box set that's worth to put in. Yeah. I'm waiting for the uh, 4k Blu-ray to come out before I <laughs> pull the trigger on this one. But <laughs> so beginning of the movie, we're introduced to two Molokai police officers, one old, one young, you know, it's a guy who's kind of training the rookie and gosh, I mean, they, they like don't even have names. I'm pretty sure because the older one he even says like, of course he has dialogue this big, like I'm just about to retire. So, you know, he's not going to be in the movie very long. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if call me, call me wrong if I am, but I'm pretty sure that's Donna and Rowdy at the very beginning. They're like lovers and they're on this boat, which is hilarious because like Donna's wearing her like skimpy thong with no top on. So like we can all see your tits. But like, so is Rowdy. <laughs> like Rowdy's wearing like this like bottoms that are just like a string is holding the flaps like a Tarzan thing. But it call me wrong. I'm pretty sure it's Ro- Rowdy and Donna, and they're like having like a romantic thing. You know, but now that and, you say that, I think you're right. I think that is the very first scene of the yeah. movie where we're kind of like established that these two were an item on like a past thing yeah exactly yeah. and we i don't even think in the first five minutes of the film we get their name in the first two minutes of the film we get boobs but in the first five minutes i don't think we get their names yet i think maybe donna's 
And I think the conversation is, is basically just how Rowdy is looking to retire into a different, <laughs> you know, field. And Donna is now moving to the Molokai, like, you know, uh, or no, exactly. I know exactly what it is. So Rowdy is telling Donna, don't go to Molokai. But like Donna's like, the agency is telling me I got to go to Molokai, which, by the way, they mentioned this agency multiple <laughs> times throughout the film. What agency? Who's the agency? FBI is the CIA is the Molokai, you know, park rangers. It's just it's the agency is telling me I got to. You got to watch the BBB series in order to know. It's uh, it all all the answers that we want and need are all there, but we were only watching one movie in the middle. <laughs> well, okay, tell me. Okay, that's a great question. Sorry, I know we're in the middle of the plot here, but <laughs> actually beginning of like, plot. <laughs> I <beginning of> plot. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but like maybe you guys can come back to us and tell us about this. But like, is there supposed to be some correlation between the films? Like, is it supposed to be like reoccurring like story plot? It's just like, oh, this is the adventures of Rowdy, Donna, and Taryn, like here in Hawaii, and then next next week they're gonna be in Thailand. I think that everybody who we meet in this movie is only in this movie, but I do know that. Um, uh, Rowdy has a brother who I think was in the movie before this. And they even have like posters of that movie on their wall. Uh, Taryn and Donna do in like their little uh, beach shack that they live in. So like this, this movie is kind of weird because it relates to movies that Andy Sedaris had in the past. Really, it's the Andy Sedaris cinematic universe, sort of like Marvel has their own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're Easter eggs. That's what they are. Like, hey, if you picked this, man, here's a picture of me in the living room. If you found it, you're a true Which, fan. It's weird because I think this movie is supposed to relate to those movies in the past, but then the women in this movie have those movie posters up on their wall. And so... Did th those ever happen? Yeah. Is the agency? <laughs> I don't know. Dude, they're living. It's a whole thing because even if that was real life, why would it be a movie poster? Like, is that was? Did they make a movie about the real life and make it like you know true story told? And now they have yeah, a movie poster it was... about it. Like, what? Where is this overlapping universes? This like time warp that we're stuck in with Andy Sedaris, where he can't make up his mind of whether or not. You know, they're in a movie, or is this supposed to be real life? I would love to ask life? Andy Sedaris, but he passed away. I don't. <laughs> it's it's locked forever. <laughs> we will never know an answer. Well, that's a shame. That is a crying shame. One to the one to the age. So yes, that. you're right. It was it was dumb of me to think that the movie would not open up with boobs, but would open up with action. Of course, boobs are the first B on the BBB series, so it's um. And <laughs> A lot of bees like i said i i personally made sure to write down the different time frames when i saw boobs <laughs> and it was 10 different times in a 90 minute spread and the best part was and here's the best part at the credits they relap all the other boob scenes so you get to see them two times over just in case you missed Do it they? The first i didn't time. stay for the credits no, it's perfect because the credits only lasted about 45 oh, okay. seconds because there was so little like influence amongst the you know the that actors and how large the set was you know like really on scene stuff to where just like you had a cameraman you had andy doing the directing and the shooting and the producing and then you also had the boom guy and then the actor showed up and they shot the scene done <laughs> that's 
that was it. I'm telling you, I, the, I would love to see the budget for this film because I'm, we're talking like, you know, the, the flight to Hawaii was basically 90% of the yes. film. Uh, yeah, it was probably just getting the actors out there. But yeah, and the 10% was the pirate. So after we're introduced to Donna <laughs> and Rowdy, or, you know, not their names, but just her body, basically, uh, we get into a scene with these two Molokai police officers. Like we said, I mean, you know, one's older, one's younger. So, you know, this these guys aren't going to last very long. And I think uh, the older one, you know, he's kind of trying to train the rookie uh, saying, hey, there's some people out on this island. They grow pot, uh, but, you know, they're pretty well-meaning. Um, every so often, once a year, I slap them with a ticket and, you know, just basically to show that um, I'm doing my job. And then they uh, send me, you know, a nice little uh, – gift basket in return of <laughs> some of the yeah, products. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's full on yes. bribery right here that's going on. It's it's funny because they give these guys names real quick, like it's going to matter in two minutes. Like the old guy's name's Henry and like the young kid's name is like Bobby. And then that, that was like, all right, that's Henry and Bobby. <laughs> yeah, they got to probably choose their own names, the actors, because it didn't even matter. Um, but uh, this year, something different's going on and um, – seems like it's much more uh, sort of a, a crime syndicate has, you know, taken over this. Then, yeah, instead of yeah, like a family, family business, it's definitely this guy's with machine guns. And uh, Henry's like, oh, these aren't the normal guys I deal with. Yeah, so I think they, they go to, you know, turn away, maybe uh, get some backup or something. They don't want to um, be seen. But uh, they run into a uh, trap that strings both of them up. <laughs> And here's where we're introduced <laughs> to shades and earrings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just like they got caught with the old, like, you know, <laughs> like the classic age old booby trap where it's like it got their legs and then they were strung up by yes. a tree. And then shades is ruthless, just puts the. I love how, like, <laughs> what was it? I think it was shades or earrings or whatever like that. He had like the shotgun shells in his mouth and he like had to load the shotgun real quick and then he gives it to shades and shades just shotguns these two guys straight in the chest after they've just gotten trapped. It was r- ruthless is that shades yeah, man, guy. I'm trying to show you these are not good guys, but it's just in the funniest way possible. <laughs> it really exactly. It really <laughs> And it was right before Henry was about to retire, though. Isn't that the yes. old thing? It's always that. Like, what was it? We were just watching cliffhangers, and I'm telling you, was it uh, the old, the last like park ranger there? Wasn't he about yes, to retire soon? The and then he gets shot. The helicopter pilot. Yeah, exactly. Those, man, always the old ones that get brutally murdered right before Getting too retirement. Too old for this shit. Megan, too old for that shit, man. But I mean. That's that's some real shady shit that just went down with shades, but at least now we get into some more boobs. <laughs> yes. So the next <laughs> scene, uh, you know, we're, we're reintroduced to Donna, and you know, this is a jump forward in time where she's already moved out to Molokai, and she and Taryn, who Donna is a part of this agency that we keep on breaking up. Basically, they never address, you know, like there's no acronyms with it or anything, but it's just, it's a, it's a <laughs> dr- secret agency. I it's don't know. the agency. It's 
agency. You don't need to ask more questions than that, Matt. We know all the answers. The agency's got it. But yeah, you're right. So they both well, no, work for the agency. Does not work for the agency. Well, now, but okay, yeah, but yes. she helps them she's out, a stuff like that. Yeah, she's but she's a uh, she's like on a the she's like on a yeah it is sort program. of a witness she's protection program, but she's helping out yeah. Donna and she's like also obsessed with James Bond comes up a couple of times during the movie, so I think that she may want yeah. to eventually join the agency, but I I'm, nobody's intentions are clear in this movie. <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not she likes she likes to be involved in the agency business but she's on this witness protection program from we don't understand why and she's under the care for donna for unknown reasons but get, tell me if i'm wrong or something like that but you know they are working for this um cargo with molokai they they're playing uh, pilots, and um, they're just about ready to get on a job, right? But then they go, <laughs> there's some, some very heavy lesbian vibes between these two. I'm just saying, I have to put it out there because it's just so apparent throughout the film, even though it's not really like said, it's the jacuzzi scene, it's all these other yeah, different things. Yeah, I don't know if it was, I think it's just, that's probably how Andy Sedaris just thought that women interacted. <laughs> but they both had to get into a jacuzzi topless because that's where they do their best thinking according to their dialogue. That's where I do my best thinking. <laughs> I don't know about you, man, but just hopping right in my jacuzzi, I get that's all my true. best ideas. Well, yeah, you're right. So they, they do run a, a, a cargo freight business, but it's kind of a shell business. You know, it's it's just so it looks like that's what they do for money but really they are secret agents and um anyways so i mean yes they they fly cargo uh but they also take people for tourist visits because they pick up two honeymooners (laughs) as well um in the opening scene and they just want to fly them to molokai and kind of let them uh they're, they're trying to the honeymooners are going there to camp um so they do it all. I mean, basically, Donna's a pilot, and uh, you know they just take whatever they can in their plane to make some money. Right, right, exactly. So yeah, I I don't understand it at all and stuff like that. It's kind of just you know I get it. It's, it's to make money and everything like that. But the what they're delivering has no. It's just whatever and anything that you know they want to deliver. Yeah. And the first thing they deliver is the two honeymooners, and then it's the snake. We get introduced to the snake, or at least what's supposedly supposed to be a different yes, snake. Yes, there's so, <laughs> so, so yes, they they stop at um, it's not Molokai. They're going to Molokai. I think it's Honolulu that they go to first. And I actually right. really liked the way that the credits were done in this movie. The opening credits. Do you recall? Um, Oh yeah, they're all like doing the a loading of the yes. cargo and everything like that. Yeah, it's, like, you know, since we're here in the eighties, they have to do the credits in the very beginning and everything like that to highlight who you know the important people. You don't get that much in today's no, cinema. And, uh, so I mean, but, you know, it, they have boxes that they're loading and unloading on forklifts at this cargo station, and all of the um, actors and all you know the anybody who's on the opening credits 
their name is printed on these boxes as they're moving them. And I thought that that was actually pretty creative on Andy Sedaris's part. It would have been so easy just to, you know, have, yeah. Flash I mean, them across, flash the screen. across the screen. But I really like when they're incorporated into, uh, you know, what's going on in the background. Just, you know, makes it feel like um, it was actually thought out. So I, I do have to give Andy Sedaris some props for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, but uh, <laughs> just because the man likes his likes his ladies and likes his guns and like his, uh, you know, he likes his girls doesn't mean that the man doesn't know a thing or two about the it movie industry. It was also industry. very easy to tell. Uh, you know, I'm sure back in 1987 that you wouldn't have seen that the names were just on construction paper that was then glued onto the boxes. But watching it in HD on, you know, a flat screen television, you could definitely tell that it was just another piece of paper that was on top of these boxes. So, so that he didn't have to, you know, pay for the box or anything like that. He could just rip off the paper and probably reuse the same box every time. <laughs> but, you know, that's, uh, that's the movie business for you. No, he definitely was being like he had a budget and he was definitely doing everything he could to be cheap. And I'll make sure to mention that later on uh, during another scene when we get through to through the plot and stuff like that. But yeah, so the cargo loading scene at the very beginning that you were mentioning, yeah, is an important one because um, (laughs) apparently one of the things that were supposed to be delivered was a snake that was supposed to be um, able to, you know, you can go see it at the zoo. zoo. They were going to. Exactly. But there's apparently no, they were made him sure to mention, but there's no snakes on Hawaii, just this one in the zoo. And uh, apparently they load on this super deadly looking snake with like already has like blood on its fangs. Like it's, it's already been like, it's looking very puppeteer, but it's looking very scary. But my question is, is that we get a great look at the snake as it's getting loaded onto where it's going and stuff like that. But it's got, all these caution signs on it saying just like it's a live yeah, snake. This is dangerous. That. <laughs> yeah, well that sign it's falls off. But the contaminated sign, yeah, it falls off and the delivery guys don't see it and everything like that. But my main issue here is that like if you got a live snake, why do you have a box with like open slits in the box where you can clearly see the snake and that it gets to probably slither <laughs> out of? Yes, I understand you would need some sort of air holes or something for the snake to breathe, but these were big enough that you yeah, could, but this, yes. is, this is like an escape holes. These are like these are missing planks in the boards. Yeah, of this is a poorly box. made box. Yeah, poorly made box. But hey, you know they're just delivery guys. You know they're not box That's makers. That's not, That's not their my job, job, boss. But exactly. But going back, we're back here with the girl. They're flying this honeymoon couple, and they're flying this this now dangerous looking snake uh towards uh honolulu right so and this is actually a very where matt was mentioning we get most of these gorgeous looking scenes uh of you know all when they're flying the plane and of course they're shooting and taking pictures of the islands and stuff like that but did you happen to listen to the soundtrack that they made for it the hard ticket to hawaii oh song yes did you ever yes listen? i love that song so i right when it first came on i was like oh, okay like maybe just license some music but no it's it says hard ticket to hawaii in the song and it sounds pretty good yeah 
<laughs> well, it sounded really good at the beginning when it didn't have the, the words to go to it because the guy singing the song, first of all, this guy couldn't sing. They got a guy to <laughs> cut the song that clearly had trouble with his vocal cords. But if you listen to the lyrics themselves, the the um, uh, chorus goes, it's a hard ticket to Hawaii. It's not paradise all the time. <laughs> That's pretty deep to me. I don't know what the problem is here. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> you get a hard ticket sometimes. It's supposed to be a paradise island, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's not always paradise. Ticket but that- to Hawaii. <laughs> oh, man. That's that actually mean, was very. Yeah, you know, I, yes, I, I did record the song back in 1987, six years before <laughs> I was born. Oh, I'm so sorry that I'm making fun of your singing. I'm, I'm terribly sorry, Matt. No, My actually, fault. I uh, I would but, not be surprised to learn if that was just one of the actors who sang that song, probably trying to uh, become a double threat. It was Jade. It was it was Kung Fu <laughs> Jade. That's who he's the one. Possible, <laughs> but. The best part about this too is that the girls are flying the plane. They're they're sitting in the front. They keep looking back, and like the tourists just keep doing different things every time they look backwards. First, that they're looking outside and they're taking pictures, and then the other time they're like cuddling, and then there's a time when they're just straight mm-hmm. making out. And like, Taryn has like this giddy smile, just like oh look at them, and they're just getting hot and heavy in the back. Like this is some like drunk Uber ride. <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah. Don't look back here, man. I'll pay you an extra twenty bucks if we can have sex in the back seat. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's just oh man, everybody is just like sex fueled in this movie. Um, but exactly. But what we we've learned here is that they drop off the you know uh, the lovers at the um, at their like destination hotspot or whatever like that, you know, they want, what they wanted to say is that they wanted to be alone so they can see nature at its purest. So they like leave them be on this like little spot of beach on the Island and stuff like that. And um, we get cut to a scene where we go back to the uh, owner of the crate, you know, like the docking area, the load and stuff like that. And he's, the one that kind of informs us about this snake and how it's like it's it's contaminated is what right. it said. We don't know what's contaminated with until later on, but now it's just like oh the snake the snake's contaminated and he goes back to um the like office dock the dock workers no well he goes back to the dock workers he's like did you guys see a snake with a contaminated sign on it and he's like oh no we didn't see that. And uh, but it was all mixed up and they kept the live snake that was supposed to go in the zoo back at the cargo shop with them. And yeah, exactly. He goes back into the office and tries to get a hold of the girls. But uh, they're they're just got finished, like I said, dropping off the honeymooners. And I believe this is also the point in the film where uh, we see that ginormous yacht and we actually get introduced to Mr. Chang. I think so, too, in his little remote helicopter. (laughs) <laughs> exactly i gotta say so we got onto this yacht it's on the middle of the ocean and this guy says a one-liner so like i don't know you're making me nervous mr chang we i would rather go he says i'd rather take this stuff through customs than do it here and we get introduced to mr chang and when i see him in the opening credit he's standing in front of like this remote control helicopter like it's toy and he looks like a british like you know, uh, well end off. He's got the like tough of <laughs> scarf 
in the front of him. He's got the everything. He's even got a cane, but you can only see the top of the cane. And if you look at it from at least my standpoint, it looked like it looked like a magician's yes. wand. So all I'm imagining is this old British man who likes to play m- with magic and <laughs> control toys. Like that's our super villain. That's the a persona I got from him at first glance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but like so basically mr chang's just like shut the hell up guy i'm gonna play do what i helicopter. want and he drives off the i'm gonna play with my helicopter and the helicopter flies off and it goes to basically where um the girls yeah, are at directly you know to the <laughs> directly to the girls exactly like i don't know who planned the pickup drop but basically the girls were just like just finished dropping off the 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 honeymooners i'm pretty sure there was a there was a high five moment somewhere in between there <laughs> i forgot to mention when we first got introduced to the girls is like um, donna just keeps telling tara to get buffed up like you know the agency we gotta stay buff and, he, and what's the one liner that she says she says doesn't mean you can't be buff and they high five <laughs> each other like yeah girl girl power gotta stay spit <laughs> but yeah this remote control plane comes landing gracefully at the feet of the girls and they're like <laughs> they're kind of distraught at the moment they're like get away from the plane watch out that thing's landing here even though it's like 20 they're feet away from them not even close to them they're like what is that thing <laughs> they're very yeah that- what is that and so they get like a little bit closer and like that and then like the doors of the helicopter open up and they're like "Ooh, what's inside and they go and like find it and right when they pick it up that's when earrings and shades are entering the scene to go i guess pick up the cargo (laughs) and this is this is the moment when i knew this was going to be a fantastic film is because they are like hey you two they start shooting their guns. I think a shotgun shell just flies over their head and hits the tree behind them. But the girls, in retaliation, Tara throws her nunchucks. Yeah, she has like folding nunchucks <laughs> in her nunchucks. boots, pulls it out, and throws it right into Eric's chest. And Donna does a 180 spin with ninja stars and hits Earring straight in the chest. <laughs> So these guys with fully automatic weapons get beaten by a pair of nunchucks that were thrown at him and a ninja star that got pierced in the ch- <laughs> right in the chest. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> and I knew immediately, I was like, I'm going to really be enjoying these next 75 minutes of this film. Oh, but really at that point, like, Basically, you know, we <laughs> girl power is what's happening here. The girls pick up some strange you know we don't know what it is yet from the rc helicopter and they're they just go run right. for their lives but they they're able to they convene one but they what? drop another right yeah you're right that's what happened right exactly um but apparently you know like at least from the viewpoint it looks like tara knew she dropped it or knew where it was but like they yeah you're right they only ran away mm-hmm. with one but <laughs> they run away and conveniently just they just go to their house they end up at their house conveniently and stuff like that you really eat the stuff or and but um the, the thing that caught me in this film is when that uh earrings and shades get you know up off the ground and dust themselves off and realize what just happened and stuff like that 
<laughs> they both i don't know if you saw this they both simultaneously fall to their <laughs> oh, knees yeah, right i yeah, forgot about they're like, that they're like mr. Ch- yeah what is it was what were they saying it to was it mr chang or was it seth romero they're like mr romero's not gonna like yeah. this <laughs> but they just both because i think they report to, their knees. to seth romero and i think seth and mr chang have the dealings going on with the diamonds See, yeah, it's very strange. It's very strange. Than Andy Sedaris did when he was writing it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's like, like, this is what you said, but this is, I think, what you <laughs> meant to say. It's like, it's like we're on a Word document right now with Microsoft Office and you're getting hit with the autocorrects. I feel like uh, Charlie in um, <laughs> Always Sunny in Philadelphia when he's in the mail room and he's just making, like, you know, red lines to everything. Yeah, else. he's got this whole conspiracy. <laughs> he's got his so whole conspiracy up on the billboard. Romero, of what... then they're not going to want to hear what Mr. Chang has to say. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> exactly. this is the point where I think Donna and Taryn, you know, they've really gotten into some, you know, nice girl power that can protect themselves with nunchucks and ninja stars. But then they take three steps back when they say, we got to go to the jacuzzi. I do all my best thinking topless in the jacuzzi. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, I get it. They got to show their boobs. It's just girls showing other girls boobs and stuff like that. But like any sort of like female power that could have came for these ladies was lost when they wanted to do their thinking topless yes. in the jacuzzi. I'm right so there it's with in the you. Jacuzzi and where so, they figure out what they do have on their hands are diamonds. You're right. Exactly. And it's the craziest part of this entire film is that, and we lose track of it, but like the entire time is that these bad guys need to go get these diamonds back. But like at the end of the day, that RC helicopter had like only two small little boxes of diamonds. Like how much, how much money are we really talking in diamonds here? These guys go through a hell of a lot of trouble for like, you know, if they're supposed to be criminal masterminds that can own yachts and, you know, fly RC helicopters and have all this tech and everything like that, like, they're going through a lot of strain over, like, just a couple of handful uh, of diamonds. I mean, dude, I think diamonds are a little bit more valuable than you're giving them credit for. Because, I mean, even just one of the two I, bags that they empty out into their hands in the jacuzzi, which, by the way, it made me very, uh, like, uh, anxious when she was just pouring them out into her hands in the jacuzzi water. <laughs> in, in jacuzzi. Yeah, oh, drop them. Oh, they got sucked into the suction cup. Oh, we're screwed. <laughs> You're absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, you might be right. It was a pretty good. It could be undervaluing. Right, but at the same time, though, like I'm also seeing these guys not as like an average Joe that's buying a diamond ring for his like betrothed. It's super mil- this super million dollar masterminds. These are supposed to be like this is supposed to be Mr. Chang we're talking about Japanese English influenced magic RC helicopter flying Chang. Uh, you can afford a couple to lose a couple of diamonds. <laughs> so I think the next scene that we have is where we get introduced to Edie's restaurant. Right. Yeah. Edie. Yeah, well, uh, Edie is the owner of the Edie. restaurant, correct? Who is the guy, the, the, the really fucking obnoxious guy that uh, is working like the, um, yeah. the host stand His name is or something Ashley. like that? I thought he was the. Yeah. His name's Ashley. So you got 
a girl that spells her name E D Y. It sounds like Eddie, but she calls it Edie. And then you got a guy, and, and his name. Yeah, and Ashley. that's not the only. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, gender swapping that we have going on. It's restaurant, <laughs> but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> so yes, we have Edie, who is a uh, little foreshadow, the owner of the restaurant. Ashley, you're right. He like he's maybe the the host or the manager or something, but he is um he's pretty obnoxious when he uh he'll he, he hits on any woman who comes into the bar. Um and that's also where we meet uh Seth. Um, who is one of the, you know, uh, big bad guys on the island. Uh, you know, Seth and Mr. Chang right. like they I, have some dealings going on. Seth Romero. Right, exactly. You're absolutely correct. But the problem, again, with this film was the fact that it was made so unclear to us. There was no, like, little soundtrack that let us know that, like, it's not like a James Bond film where like Scaramanga enters the scene. It's like, bum, 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 Mr. Scaramanga. No, it's like, we just get Seth Romero just sitting at the table with like a girl. And he's just like, yeah, I'm casually like, you know, just sitting here. I'm, I'm dressed nice in a suit and stuff like that. It's only until we realize that he meets up with earrings and shades that, you know, like he, um, was like the bad guy i just another uh moment here that you know was made unclear to everyone that seth was supposed to get back <laughs> so yeah and that's where earrings and shade i guess report the bad news to the seth that the boxes uh got taken from the helicopter before they could they could get to that drop-off point but <laughs> at, at, in Edie's restaurant, there's also one thing I want to address that we get to before we're introduced to Seth. And uh, that is actually the uh, writer-director that we've been talking about, Andy Sedaris. He has a cameo in the movie. I don't know if you knew that this was him or not, but um, he gave himself a cameo. He plays a guy named Whitey in the movie, but he's there with the uh, TV crew. I think he's the director, which is what Andy Sedaris had done, you know, before he had started going out on his own and making these movies. But <laughs> a uh, a woman walks in and, you know, meets him at a table and she's all, um, you know, kind of mad at him and she says <laughs> something along the lines. I don't have the quote here. And I mean, it's just, it's awful. Like it, it shows you like what he thought was funny, but she says, why do you almost rate me last night? And he says, that was last night, baby. This is today. Which is <laughs> like, Oh, my <laughs> right. <God>. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, Really, really sick stuff. Yeah. Like, um, what happened i remember whitey was supposed to i did not know that if he was yeah that was Andy That's awesome fun but he was trying to be like a fast tack fast tack in new york well, <laughs> my god i'm sorry about that <laughs> but he's from his fast talking new yorker writer and stuff like that and he what was the name like her yeah, name chelsea or something like that or something Again, another one of Andy Sedaris's moments to just like fill gaps of time between the plot because he's just having this conversation with this girl that doesn't amount to anything. And so, uh, but yeah, he's definitely a real 
SOB because immediately after he's done talking about how he almost raped a girl, the waitress comes by to take their order and he just <laughs> looks at her boobs and says, like, I'll have a pair of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it only made me laugh because it was so ridiculous. <laughs> like, Right, exactly. But um, another um, – no, no, keep going on because right – Seth Romero wanted his henchmen to go look for the diamonds and stuff like that. He calls them dumb, dumb boy. He, he says, if your minds were bird cages, they'd be empty. Oh, Something yeah. like that. That was like his like insult to them. And then he says, he calls if, if, over if your uh, brains were bird shit. Your cages would be empty or something like that. <laughs> basically basically like a, a real backhanded backhanded saying to them and stuff like that but only something like a gangster would say but um uh what happens next what happens next is this one we're interested so, we're uh introduced back to uh, donna and taryn yes they come yeah through the it front goes, door? so now now that seth knows uh seth knows exactly who uh picked up these diamonds after his henchmen come and tell him because you know he knows everything going on in this island and so um yeah donna and taryn uh taryn had hidden away the diamonds in the freezer because she made a bad joke and says they're ice right so they got to go in the freezer um and so uh anyways i think it's as soon as she closes the freezer door that two masked uh assailants basically just come in and yeah uh, robbers crap out of them and um yeah so i they make off with do they make off with the diamonds i think they do make off with the diamonds uh yeah yeah they do so this is yeah so it's very terrible because like um you're right it's half of the it's half of the diamonds because right you remember they mentioned that they only right, took they one of the boxes the second and, one and they can't because they don't have them yeah so taryn right so taryn gets pulled aside in the uh the kitchen by one of the assailants and uh donna tries to look for taryn can't do it opens up the front door and gets met with the other assailant and when they the assailant they're like has her kind of it's one of those very like <laughs> i'm gonna use porn is like the like it's like on the you know if the if the bad guy was like in a porn scene and he grabbed on her he grabbed her by the arms like not really actually struggling or something like that but like oh he's got a knife or something like that and but anyways donna tells her that like the diamond tells the guy diamonds are in the hangar and then they go and leave. And right when they're going to go leave to the hangar, we get cut back to Taryn, who's also fighting with his other assailant. And <laughs> that's when, like, Taryn, the, the assailant there asked the exact same question that Donna just revealed to the other guy. Like, how was there no, no correlation between these assailants to be like, hey, she just told me the diamonds were in the hangar? Oh, <laughs> I, 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 do, you, do you get it? Like, I, I just didn't, there was so much yeah. wrong with the, how the assailants handled this situation. <laughs> it didn't make sense at all. But it, it gets us one great thing that. Oh, moves the plot forward and that's with one of the assailants going to the hangar the toxic snake is also in there and so when they have a fight donna and the masked person i think they break the crate and the snake gets out so that exactly. at least moves the plot forward so yeah that <laughs> 
Exactly. So basically, it almost seems like these um, the assailants are about to win and everything's about to you know go handy for them and everything like that. They're going to kill the girls and whatnot. It, it, we get apparently, and we didn't know this until just when they shoot the cut scene, is that it, Seth Romero's there. Yeah, he's he's just the in the car or like waiting for them to He's out by the car, but he sees the snake crawl on one of the tires of the plane. That's like, not to mention, 75 feet away from him. Like, couldn't have been farther away from him. But Seth doesn't like snakes. He has a snake phobia. <laughs> he just goes, oh, snake, and starts shooting his pistol at, at the snake that's like doing no harm to him, just being a snake by the, yeah, t- by the airplane. And that's when the... <laughs> And no, right? Exactly. And that's when then the assailants are like, oh, it looks like Seth is in trouble. We have to go back to him. And I, it's funny how they made this act, this scene happen next because we see the assailants running back to Seth to go help him. And he trips over like this, like, you know, garden lid or something like that. Just like it seemed almost pointless. And it is pretty pointless how they wrap it up in the end of the movie. But he just like eats shit. And he's like, don't worry about me. I'm OK. And we get cut back to the girls that are like, oh, thank goodness they're OK. But Donna has a real yeah, race. She's, got a pistol out now. she's like, I'm going to go get those SOPs and chases after them with pistols and everything like that. And this is the craziest part of the film, at least in my or at least one of them, because there are a lot <laughs> I was about of to crazy say you're about to oversell it because there's a lot of crazy parts of this film. <laughs> I know I'm pretty there's a little premature here, but like. Donna chases after them. The assailants go to check up on Seth, and they're about to get get away and stuff like that. But then Donna is just like I said; she's in straight rage, like you know, red in the eyes mode right now. Pulls out the pistol, says like, hey, "Get back here, Seth!" Which is also makes a question: like, how did he know that that was Seth Romero? Like, there's just like there's no uh, uh, hidden like uh, identities for these guys. Everyone just yeah, seems so to know everyone on this island. But Donna just pulls out her. Pistol. Is this small island? Everyone knows everyone, whatever. But, you know, Donna pulls out the pistol, takes a shot. Seth is waiting there, gets a bullet mm-hmm. straight to the face, straight to the cheek. And, like, one of those sounds like, oh, Seth just got shot, and they drive away. And Donna, but then, like, Donna immediately goes to, like, her back to, like, playgirl mode. She's like, maybe I was a little too maybe it's a little too rough with him or something like that. Maybe I got a little too carried away. Like, yeah, maybe yeah, Donnie carried away. <laughs> Taryn's into it. Though. But like Taryn, yeah, Taryn reassures her and just like, no, that was badass girl, girl power. And I'm pretty sure they <laughs> high fived again or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, a really, you know, at the end of the day, what seemed like a successful trip for the assailants turned out to be nothing but successful. They walked away with the di- the diamonds, but their boss got shot in the face <laughs> in the in the process, and uh, they didn't manage to kill yeah. the girls. Uh, and I, so I will say, later on in the movie, we get to see Seth's uh, face. I thought they did pretty good makeup work with that too. Like you know, the bullet just grazed his cheek, but uh, you know, it looked it looked pretty torn up. Um, uh, you can say you could say that it was done well or whatever like that, but like I keep thinking of like watching uh you know uh live free or die trying with Fifty Cent, and he he got shot in the face and he had to wire his whole mouth shut with everything like that. This guy got 
for someone who just got shot in the head, he got away with it pretty, yeah, pretty Donald okay. Was shot. Or maybe she was a great shot and she was just trying to graze maybe. her nose. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of. You know, maybe she's like uh, Angelina Jolie, and she curved the bullet, you know, and just grazed his cheek. But yeah, you, know, you can't call her not a bad shot because he <laughs> shot him in the head. <laughs> like that's a good, that's a kill cool shot. So I think this is where we head back to Edie's, and I don't know if we've been introduced at this point to Jimmy John Jackson or not, but he's just one of those. It's just like comic relief characters i guess he's like the announcer right there's a couple host for these mm-hmm. interviews that he's doing with um different players who have come for like uh, some sort of football tournament to uh, molokai and i mean <laughs> let's not get into like <laughs> what happens with them but no you're totally right yeah you're totally right like it's it's totally for comedic relief even though this movie is supposed to be about the babes and it's supposed to be about the bullets and the action, Andy Sedaris still thinks that there needs to be some sort of funny moment through here. And my gosh, does he yeah, miss I the mark on the funny moments? They are anything but funny. But before I, you're right, Taryn and Donna get in, get into this uh, scene, and it seemed like Taryn has already a prior relationship mm-hmm. to JJ. Um, JJ just is kind of there with Andy, like, cause Andy is his like agent, but he's also this other girl, Chelsea's agent. He's, he's kind of all over the industry at this point. And JJ is making his, uh, you know, his introductions to the football players and stuff like that. But I did want to make a mention right here. And there's another terrible, terrible moment between the manager of this Edie's restaurant with his sexist remarks and stuff like that, because he makes a mention to Donna uh, about like um, sitting on his face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like he, he makes a compliment about like, Hey, like I want you to sit on my face, like very bluntly said it like that girls the best seat in the house or something my face oh yeah exactly thank you yeah exactly oh where's that (laughs) on my face oh and then donna's like why is your nose bigger than your dick which i thought was a fantastic comeback to a very very disgusting ass joke but just another another you know like I, I wish there would have been like a moment of like you know <laughs> that the manager just like looks to the camera and just goes oh anyone but me like one of those like oh that's just the manager being the manager he's just having one of his sexist jokes again and he just looks at the camera with like his shoulders shrugged like that's, that's me actually- I guess because something needed to yeah, something needed to break the tension of Ashley's terrible <laughs> ass remarks. And so we find out that uh, Edie is also, I guess, somehow involved with the agency. You know, some sort of like middleman <laughs> or something like that. But you know, she'll like she 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 gets them in touch with an yes, informant. She's an informant, but she I think manages to get the girls in touch with Rowdy and Jade who were also introduced to on a boat as they're doing karate. Uh, just, it's so awful. And like, I. It really is. It really is. So yeah, two things come from that. Edie has connections and we also get like a glimpse, a camera glimpse of yes. the bartender, this girl that has a lot of makeup. And 
you know, at this point in the film and for you guys, this doesn't really make any sense. Like there's just, it's just this girl. I'm, I want to make sure I mention her only because she has such a surprising the reintroduction into the film later on that I wanted to make sure that I mentioned it here at least once. But yeah, Matt's absolutely correct. The next scene comes with us being introduced to Rowdy and Jade on the bow of this boat doing karate, which is the terrible place to do karate in my opinion. <laughs> and they're just, I mean, I, like I think Andy Sedaris thought it was supposed to be cool but it was just not cool. Everything that they were saying, the karate they were doing, I don't like, they were just, I, I don't know, too, like, yeah, just doing poses and doing that noise that you always see in those old karate movies where it's like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like what they did, like as if their fist didn't do enough of the noise, they had to make sure they made it sound like it was cutting through the air. <laughs> and the best, the best line that Jade has in the movie is Confucius oh, says, yes. <laughs> "If you have a weapon, you could hurt yourself putting on aftershave." God, man, it was just so bad. I just, I don't even want to give these guys that much. <laughs> At the time, time of day, I know we're giving them more credit than they're due, but uh, you're right. So basically, we get introduced to these guys and this random random moment where this guy that's riding a motorcycle who's like their boss or maybe he's their boss i'm not sure but it's supposed to be incognito and he's riding like his scooter and he delivers a sandwich to jade and rowdy on the bow of the boat and they open up like the styrofoam tray and this the note is layered between some <laughs> bread and a piece of lettuce and they read the note and then they light and they it burn on the fire whole sandwich. Like, why did they <laughs> Why did they need to make sure that there was a secret note in a sandwich? Like, who, who I just, the, uh, Andy Sardaris's idea, because he obviously must like James Bond. He must like the action, super agent-esque. Yeah, you James know, Bond, that, Mission Impossible, the, all of those. Exactly. He really liked to have that, you know, protagonist saving the world as a secret agent, British secret agent type thing, because there's multiple references through, throughout the film. But man, were they just so poorly executed that you can't even call it super secret agent because like, no, James Bond would never do those things. James Bond would never get a secret message a from sandwich. Q in a sandwich where he has to burn the letter. Never will he see him doing karate kung fu on a bow of a boat, and you just hear like James Bond silently in his dojo, just going <laughs> <laughs> like he thinks he's hotter. Yeah, shit but I than like not. this version but, too. <laughs> oh, you can't help but like this version. I feel like he painted the road, Andy Sodaris here for any satire super agent to come after it. Like, if you've ever seen a cartoon where there's, like, super secret agents or there's, like, you know, Austin Powers stupid cameo stuff, Andy Sardaris did it first, trying to be serious with Rowdy and Jade and things along those lines. And with here, Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Hard uh, Ticket to Hawaii. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now, uh, Good. now Good Rowdy stuff. and Jade know about, uh, you know, Let's we got to go to Molokai, uh, help out Donna and Taryn. Uh, Taryn, you said, had some sort of past relationship with Jimmy John at some point, so 
they go to have the long exactly right did sex scene on a beach which is just <laughs> like it just goes on for like five minutes it, and, it, and it comes straight out of the blue like it was supposed to be a flashback to when they first meet it or something like that like that's like that was, oh, i think that was, was kind of like the scene that was trying to be played at the I think so because, like, it's not like they left to go just have sex after they went and they were. Supposed that's to exactly what happened, things. and I and was like, also, "Why are we taking this break?" Uh, well, if it, <laughs> if it if it is, then it is. You know, like that that happens, whatever. But it's also after uh, JJ JJ Jackson JJJ. <laughs> he's he's explaining to these football people why he takes oh god yeah he, he and he he apparently has never heard of a like centrum silver all-in-one vitamin because he he lists out about nine different individual vitamins and he even talks about the uh the vitamin c one is the best the, because the, he's the, like, Gives your pee yeah. a nice uh, fluorescent <laughs> glow that'll make you the envy of every man at the urinal or something like that. Exactly. It's something really, really out of the ordinary. And then one of the football guys just orders like a milkshake and starts eating the milkshake. Like that was scene. Like, oh, you got your pills? Well, I'm a professional football player and I eat ice cream. God, dude, the dialogue in this movie is just <laughs> the best. It's really, really bad. And then after this, yeah, after this throw up onto a screenwriter script comes a two minute long sex scene. I believe it's sex scene number four on the uh, scene since the last one was the topless jacuzzi scene. So, uh, yeah, it's a really, really long one. And, you know, there is some topless scenes. So, you know, like, hey, we get it, it's Cinemax, blah, 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 blah. But, like, at this point with JJ and Taryn, she is one belt yeah, buckle absolutely. away from um, just full on having sex with this guy. And it's very, it's very, very strange. It's very, it's and it, and the whole sex scene ends with them just like kissing on the beach in the sunset. It's <laughs> you know, like it's, so let's it's, get it's really it's a little weird. Probably my that. favorite scene of the movie, and uh, I guess listener, if you've ever seen anything from this movie. It's probably this like minute long scene, but it's Rowdy and Jade. They, they get on the island and they, uh, they're driving just like a four wheeler Jeep or something. Um, and here we see uh, one of the henchmen. It's not Shades. It's it's another one who's anyways. <laughs> so he, he comes doing a, a handstand skateboard trick, which is very yeah. impressive because I, I actually think it was the same actor who, you know, it wasn't like a stunt double or anything like that as far as I could tell. No, it was actually he was actually skateboarding, which is like no, a cool part of it. But man, way to take something cool and turn it trick, super lame. Skateboard right in the Jeep. And then they kind of have to swerve around to miss him. He makes a quick, you know, like stop and um, pulls out a sex doll, a sex blow up doll, jumps into Earring's car. And then, wait, okay. Well, either way, they just like, they, they go by. Yeah, like, no, okay. At, <laughs> at Jade and Rowdy in the Jeep. I think one of the shots even hits Jade in the gut. 
And anyways, so Rowdy reaches into the back of the Jeep, pulls out a bazooka, but not just any bazooka, a bazooka that has four rocket slots Mm -hmm. on it and shoots the skateboarding guy. (laughs) He goes flying off the skateboard, which is, that's not how physics work, but also (laughs) he goes flying off the skateboard and then Rowdy shoots him in the sky and then also shoots the blow-up doll in the sky and they both explode into a fiery mix. It just doesn't make any sense at all, but it's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's really something bad. And I also like Jade's like little comment that he made when the skateboard drove past him and he's like, that guy must be smoking mad doobies. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, good job, man. You're probably right. But you're right. Well, he the does sex say do- something to Rowdy. He's like, really? A bazooka? And Rowdy is like, it's the only thing I can hit a moving target with. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. It's something <laughs> like that. But like Jay takes like a little bit of shrapnel or something like that. He gets hit amongst the shots that the skateboarder's taking at him and stuff like that. And yeah, it just it's a it's a three rocket launcher tier of just bang, bang, bang. Let me just blow up this obvious assailant and his you know strange sex doll companion (laughs) god it's just beautiful though and like i mean so you had never seen this movie before you had never seen this scene before and so i mean what was your reaction when it was happening i just couldn't understand like what the Andy was thinking at the time and I'm busting the gut at this point is what's happening and it happened multiple times throughout this film just for the sheer fact that like I understand that this movie was going to be hard to watch coming in because I saw the ratings and then I saw the description and everything like that but like it just it just got worse and where I looked at the time where I was at in the film. And at this point, we're only at like the 45 minute mark. So there's like another 45 minutes worth of film still there. And I thought like, how could this movie possibly top how crappy this part was right here? (laughs) I just don't understand the sex doll. I don't understand why he was skateboarding past them. And then I just don't understand how like Jade got shot in the chest still alive like he just like took like a little bit of like a, a i guess just like donna shooting R- romero only grazed the cheek grazed his mat like immaculate pecs and then <laughs> and then rowdy's only like retaliation is i have to take out this rocket launcher and just shoot the shit out of these guys that's true, but no other movie will you ever see a blow up sex doll get blown up by a, a rocket. A launcher. rocket launcher, never, yeah. never. It's a beautiful they were, thing. And he and Andy's a bold guy. This is a bold man making bold decisions for a film. So, <laughs> bravo, Andy. So, well, yeah. So, uh, Jade and Rowdy then need to go to the hospital to get. Uh, jade fixed up but they're all supposed to meet with um i keep crying i keep wanting to call her eddie (laughs) (laughs) you can call her eddie that's fine i think it's edie but (laughs) yeah you're right it totally is edie but like i just i look at her edy name i say eddie in my head but they're supposed to be meeting with e hey michael you there so they yeah, don't, and, but then so, yeah, they, but that's when uh, Romero 
kidnaps her essentially like but it's also at the same time that donna and taryn like are also like investigating them at the same time like it's just very convenient how taryn and donna are like getting mixed in with the affairs of these assailants and stuff like that because you're right like tara and i mean that rowdy excuse me rowdy and jade were supposed to meet with Edie so that they could take them to go meet with donna and taryn but Edie gets captured with by the assailants before he can go get pick them up and well do you know how she gets a, a captured though i mean i think we should talk about the uh the bartender that's been working with romero who works at Edie's. <laughs> so, you're absolutely right oh i knew i made a good point of mentioning it before because i was gonna forget it but you're absolutely right matt you, you we're back at the restaurant right now and we get introduced to uh michelle and also another boob scene so uh can <laughs> yeah. you tell can you the tell us a little Edie's boobs yeah yeah it's Edie's boobs so we get a, we get a little bit of taste of everyone's you know any female has to show their boobs in order to be on this film <laughs> But please so, tell yes. us about Michelle, the bartender. Yeah, there's been there's been two scenes throughout this movie where Michelle, the bartender, who is just she just wears entirely way too much makeup. But honestly, I didn't think it was out of place for this movie. I just thought totally. She's so, she's anyways. working like her bartender job. You know, she's dressed for work or whatever like that. And she's like she I did not make this connection but this one actually very much caught me by surprise same so she has been listening in on ed's conversations you know agency related conversations because she's actually a uh michelle is actually i guess a, a double agent or you know yeah, whatever the, she's an trying to infiltrate uh you know the operation working with um romero seth romero and so she's been attaching some device to the phone, which I don't believe a device <laughs> like this exists, but it's just, she sticks on a little sticker, a thing little sucker, the a little sucker side of the phone. And all of a sudden she can hear all of the conversations. Yeah. She tapped, her. she tapped like a random phone in the restaurant that was managed to be on the same line that Donna and Taryn were talking to Jaden, uh, Jaden, rowdy about rowdy. the diamonds that they found and everything like that but it's coming here that <laughs> Edie is like has to get changed and gets like naked for whatever reason and it's like talking to michelle in the back room of the restaurant saying like oh i'm you know i'm about to go i'm about to leave and stuff like that and michelle's like oh yeah you go girl and stuff like that and right when Edie leaves like michelle instantly begins transitioning into michael Michael, which you couldn't have picked another name that wasn't closer. Michael's Michelle. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Michelle, I thought you were Michelle. No, it's Michael. Like, exactly. Yeah, dude, this this got me because I think it, it, she takes off the wig first. And I was like, oh, yeah. She just, yeah, she starts just like peeling off the coming. makeup from her face, and I'm like, oh, what are you doing? But then like the the, the wig just comes off, and you're like, oh, you're a boy. That's what you are. <laughs> yeah, so it's actually been a man playing a woman the whole time, and he uh, calls up Seth and the henchmen to tell them where Edie is on the way to. Right, and, and they, so, they and, kidnap her, exactly. Yeah, they kidnap her. And for some reason, Michael has to be with them in the van when they kidnap her. I think it would have been a whole lot faster just to 
you know, leave him out of it and just <laughs> and the, and, okay. kidnap her. But <laughs> this is wait for him to take off all of the makeup and everything. Uh, before. Yeah, not just the makeup. Like we don't get just the makeup. They also have him like dressing down from his women clothes and he's wearing all women clothes. A man is wearing yeah. a brassiere and like man panties with like, it's like, way way too much camera time on this guy changing from a girl to a guy like we get it the wig came off this is no longer a girl anymore you know <laughs> but like as weird as that was it's also a little semi-impressive because michael was able to transition from michelle to michael so fast that he managed to catch up to them and the henchmen as Edie was en- like exiting the restaurant and like helped in capturing her to like you know take her away to Seth Romero. So like good on him to know how to get between like being a girl and a boy really fast. But um, <laughs> done it a lot of times, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Done it a <laughs> so ton you're right. of times. They do. They do intercept Edie on the side of the road. You know, they pull. They basically just run her car off the side of the road, grab her. You know, in the side of a van and kidnap her. And so Rowdy and Jade are just kind of left outside the hospital, wondering where Edie is and when she's going to show up. Um. And I will say, I think at some point we might have missed a scene here involving the snake. And I have no idea where it's slotted in because this snake is just subplot B, you know, <laughs> as the rest of the story is going on. Oh, my gosh. It, it makes does. Yeah, it makes absolute no sense. The snake just rolls into the film, just whenever it feels convenient. I totally forget about a snake being in the film until these honeymooners are you know the uh the the new husband is taking pictures of his wife and they're taking a bunch of pictures and just one of them is a uh just the snake (laughs) on the camera and the were so the the snake bites both of these honeymooners and i guess he's a toxic snake because he just kills them immediately venomous or whatever i don't know yeah the best part was did you hear his death cry that like like, okay so he takes like one last picture that happens to like you know catch the snake as it was attacking so that when like donna and tara they go find out they go back to try and like say oh you know the snake's out it's loose it's too contagious. No, no, it's too contaminated. We got to go rescue the honeymooners because all this bad stuff's happening and they find their, you know, dead bodies. But like the death cry that came from the guy was like, oh, like it wasn't even a death cry. I was like, oh, that was the name was the, that was his final breath of air in the world was making this <laughs> uh, noise <laughs> as he flashes the camera oh, on the snake. Terrible way to go out, <laughs> yeah. just sounding like a deflating balloon. <laughs> exactly. And like, okay, like, it, guys, so we get a little bit of mention about the snake that we might not have mentioned before. We know it's contaminated and stuff like that. But the guy that was working in the warehouse earlier was mentioning like, oh, yeah, he's gotten this contamination from cancerous rats, toxic rats, apparently. So, but when Donna and Tara go to find them back on the island and stuff like that, they're just like ripped to shreds, like this completely mauled. Like it wasn't a snake that got them. It was like a more like a tiger or like a, a grizzly bear. Cause Matt, I mean like 
I'm no, you know, <laughs> I read my uh, zoology books growing up, you know, like uh, what was that magazine? The Na- I read my National Geographic, never like that. Yeah, National Geographic. Exactly. Snakes eat their prey whole. They just unhinge their jaw and then eat these snakes. Why would the snake like just like tear these tourists apart? That it just it just loves killing man. It, it doesn't just, even do it for the food. It does it for the sport. It does it for the sport and for its cancerous, toxic attitude. But yeah, <laughs> it was it's a beautiful thing how the like T- Donna and Tara come into the scene and they're just in such distraught. They're just like, oh my god, these honeymooners they're they're just ripped to shreds. My yes, god, yes, they have been savaged. These two honeymooners, and there they find the Polaroid. Yeah, no, that's the best part. The last picture, and it's just it's just the fakest <laughs> puppet snake. I know. The best part <laughs> is the one they get introduced. That well, like that we get they find it. They find the camera and Donna like picks it up, but she also clicks the camera because it's Polaroid. Like a Polaroid has to click in order for the shot to shoot out. So he's like, oh, I found the camera. And she just like clicks it. And then they're like, oh, there's a picture in here. What is it? It's the snake. I'm like, no, it's not the snake. You just clicked uh, the the husband's dead body. that You just picked it up off the ground. Yeah, it would be whatever you just took a Whatever you just of, took right? a picture of, not this snake that you popped out like 20 minutes ago. But... <laughs> but yeah so the, poor honeymooners we got our poor donna and tara too not only did they lose the diamonds and they got these menacing assailants on the island but they messed up their one job they didn't keep these people safe and they got mauled by a like ravenous snake they're having a time. Yeah, I would say if their actual job were uh, these cargo freight carriers and not being secret agents, that they would be losing their business. But because <laughs> they've just unleashed a dangerous snake onto the island and killed, uh, you know, their only two clients. But oh well. Um, right, right. And so I, I kind of forget how. Uh, no, Rowdy Jade and Donna. I'll and tell Karen you it hooked up again. Don't even worry, oh, Matt. Okay. I already got your back. So if you recall, uh, Rowdy and Jade are basically waiting for Eddie not to come because <laughs> Eddie's <laughs> been captured by Seth Romero, and this is when we also get a picture of Romero and his makeup that Matt really enjoys, but I think is really unrealistic for a guy that just got shot in the face. But uh, I think it looks pretty good. I love that we get basically what happened is is that Jade and R- Rowdy are stranded and um, can't get a hold of anyone. And this is also the time that Donna and Taryn um, go to the closest phone that they can find, which is at a sumo wrestler dojo on the island. Because oh, God, because yeah. a little piece of information <laughs> we forgot to tell you was that the phone line at donna and tara's house got cut by the assailants when they first met and uh, before donna makes their phone call and everything like that we get introduced to um you know where they're keeping hold of um eddie and romero's like trying to tell her like hey where are the where's the other rest of the diamonds where are these other girls that and stuff like that and <laughs> The I just love the way they tied her up, where they just like tied her up by the hands, and she's just like sitting on a table, and you got earrings behind her with like the rest of the rope, just like just in case he wants to string her up, just like an old like nineteen eighties porn, you know, 
thing would be. This is <laughs> see, we're really getting this is like a, all this Playboy mansion, all this Playboy like characteristics falling into this film, and they're not missing a beat. And so, you know, um, she's yeah, she's getting interrogated by Romero. It's not looking good for them. Jade and um, Rowdy are now stranded, and the only way that Donna and Tara can contact them is to go to the sumo wrestler because do, dojo because they have a phone there and this is just another classic sedaris miss mark of a funny joke because she wants to make tara sound like you know a smart like a kind of like a smart ass She's like don't worry donna i know all walks of life i know how to, exactly how to talk to these sumo wrestlers and stuff like that and she just she progress proceeds to just speak spanish to them while they look at her like who's this who's this dumb chick that keeps talking spanish to us and donna just goes oh my God. yeah and donna just goes right behind them and calls them on the phone and yeah that fell the flattest out of any of the jokes in the movie it was just like the most groan worthy it really was it was some really bad stuff but uh that's basically how they um come together and they managed to find themselves back at donna's place and um they are just cleaning all of their gun equipment because they already know like a battle's coming you know they gotta they gotta go uh rescue Eighty that they saw get captured when uh, Donna and Tara were like, you know, investigating earlier on when they saw Edie getting captured in the first place. But the most remarkable thing about this is is Don- <laughs> is Donna's quote unquote sleuth work and her detective work because <laughs> she, they're looking through these like nineteen eighties camera when they're like, you know. Um, What's the spy word when you're um, like investing? Getting like intel. Intel. Thank you. When they're intelling these assailants that they they were spying on and stuff like that, and they're using like a 1980s camcorder, and <laughs> they managed to like zoom in really really far. And this is the first time that we actually see Michael, that or at least Donna and Tara see Michael because they, all they know is this girl Michelle behind the bar. And Donna, after the phone call with Jade and Riley, hangs up turns to Tara and is just like, hey, you remember that bartender that had that pinky ring that was in uh, Edie's restaurant? Tara's like, yeah, I think that's the assailant that was trying to capture Edie over there that I saw through the camcorder. And she's like, oh, I think you're right. And I'm like, those right, guys were a quarter mile away. <laughs> those guys were half a mile away, like struggling. And you saw a pinky ring on this dude that you were like, oh, I remember that pinky ring. That was on the bartender. <laughs> we still barely may have that technology. Today. I know, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, damn, Donna, Sherlock Holmes got nothing on you. <laughs> he got that. Yeah, seriously. But, um, <laughs> right. So that, that happened. They're at Donna's and Tara's. They're got all this gear and guns and they're cleaning their weapons and doing all that gun maintenance that you know you have to do before a big battle and stuff like that but this just seems like a very convenient time for rowdy and donna to go have sex in the other room yeah andy sedaris felt it had been too long since we've seen it happen (laughs) mind you we saw Edie's boobs not seven minutes ago in the film that's true but that's not a sex scene that's just a uh, it's just a boob that's just some frontal nudity (laughs) <laughs> so yeah I, rowdy and donna have another well they have an extended sex scene i guess the other one that we saw was taryn's earlier and man is just like 
some some great lines come from this sex scene because it's like some of the stuff coming out of Rowdy's mouth is like, <laughs> what are you even talking it's, about, it's man? Smut and it's just t- the worst of the worst because I think it starts off with I mean not only are is you know they're getting down and dirty and stuff like that but like before they even start the sex scene and like Rowdy's about to pull off her top or whatever like that. What does he say? He says, I want to suck the polish off your toes. Like, yes, that is exactly like, what he it's, says. It's, I think at the end of the, and I'm going to make this notion right now, Matt, is that I want an honest opinion of you is who is the grosser character in this movie? Is it Rowdy or is it Ashley from the restaurant? Oh, right. <laughs> Dude, I think so too. I think so too. Ashley is a very close second, but Rowdy just starts saying some things. Yeah, at least Rowdy's. No, at least Ashley's like stuff makes sense. <laughs> like <laughs> the sit on the face thing. I like that's that's something that people say. That's maybe maybe something that's that maybe he, like, some, picked up. Yeah, that's like a else, really but... terrible pickup line that you get at the club in Jersey or something like that. But yeah. no, yeah, this, this stuff that Rowdy is saying is straight out of like his dark, dark, gross <laughs> mind. <laughs> And so I think it's towards the end that Donna and Rowdy are getting together. And Donna goes, so tell me, what do you feel? And Rowdy says, one man's dream is another man's lunch. <laughs> Donna says, you son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. And so I also love this part because um, and the, in the other room, two things happen here that I'm going to mention. The first thing is, and then the other room, Jade and Taryn are – um, basically just finishing up their gun mains or whatever like that. And Taryn's like, do you want a drink? And Jade's like, yeah, I'll have something like, what is he said? I'll have something soft. Like I'll have something mild, like something easy. <laughs> she's like, well, we got Coke, we got Diet Coke. And he's like, none of that. And he's like, pass me the vodka. And he's like, you want to know how I like it? He's like, I like a shaken martini, a lemon twist. And he just puts the lemon twist in his mouth and takes the full chug of the handle of vodka. Yeah. Takes the vodka bottle before drinking. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I'm like, did you not just ask for something like mild? Like you just took a bottle of vodka. Like just very, very just straight up way too much. And then the second thing that happens is that while they're still doing their gun maintenance, Rowdy finds this to be a great opportunity to make some very, very loud grunting sex noises and not just any noises just ah oh no person has ever said in bed before but it's loud enough that jade and taryn are in the other room just being like what is going on in there and donna's like don't you think you should keep it down rowdy he's like rowdy's like no i like it and donna's like oh you you hunk it's really gross stuff <laughs> it's very gross but um <laughs> so when rowdy and donna finish up they, they are like checking out some of the footage that donna and taryn had gotten on the camcorder one of the things that they see is that i guess every day shades has this tradition where he plays frisbee with a local girl on the island and they just get together and they throw around to frisbee for a little bit wally has like a machine gun just like strapped around his i know 
chest, but yeah, whatever. The, the part was that like Donna like was able to inform Rowdy about this prior, just like, oh, some of the intel that we did when we saw Edie taken away, we saw this guy likes to play Frisbee. He's obsessed with playing Frisbee with this local girl. And Don Rod Rowdy's like, I could definitely use that information. <laughs> like Oh good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really important stuff. Thanks, Donna. But yeah, this guy, this guy, this is shades. <laughs> this is the guy that wears the reflective shades. And his job is to stand on the beach every single day with his machine gun, just ready at attention for no reason. The base isn't there. Like that's not where Romero is. Like there's nothing going on on this beach except for shades and his machine gun. And this local girl has absolute no problem because she can't throw a frisbee by herself, guys. She has, she has the nerve to muster up the courage and go ask this this man with a submachine gun, "Hey, you want to throw the frisbee with me?" <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I don't. I yeah. would never ask. And they just. I want to know how this relationship it, started between the two. I of know, them. and I love it. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But um, and basically. They just throw the frisbee around, and Rowdy finds a. I don't even know how Rowdy makes it known into this, but <laughs> the <laughs> the scene starts with the girl is running towards the camera, and you can't really see her because there's a little bit of dunes of sand and stuff like that. But they wanted to make it known that she was back to go meet Shade to throw the frisbee, so she tosses the frisbee, but. She tosses the frisbees into the wind. So when the she throws it into the wind, it immediately blows behind her. So that she has to go chase after it. And they catch this all on camera. And they cut over to Shade, who's got like a big smile on his face and is like waving her over, like, hey, come over here, we'll have some fun. Like, it's like slow motion waving her. Exactly. Him too. Like after <laughs> she just like flubbed and threw the frisbee behind her but then like rowdy just comes out of nowhere running on this beach and runs with her and it's just like hey do you mind if i run next to you and she's like yeah sure like this random chick just like hey yeah sure he's just like hey nice day today oh yeah it's a wonderful thing and then like i just have to play this scene out because it was guys i'm not making this up this is exactly what was watched on this film they go and meet up with shades shades like hey Who's this potato? And she's like, hey, I'm just here to throw the frisbee. He's like, you're not. He's just another thrower, which they keep on calling each other throwers, which is. Yeah, but I guess that's people who throw frisbees, right? But yeah, but Shades is like, you can't be on this. There's a lot of You can't be on this part of the beach. And he's like, hey, we're all friends here. And he's like, oh, yeah. Well, let me see how you throw the frisbee. And he tosses the frisbee and then throws it back to Shades. And Shades has to pull the stupidest show-off move I've ever seen in my life. He's like, catches the frisbee and then lifts up his leg and throws it underneath his leg so he can catch it with one hand and then tosses it back to Rowdy. Like, oh, can you do that? Can you do that, Gloom? So the zoom is the most uncool <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. But after two successful tosses, Shades believes Rowdy is a significant enough thrower. So he goes, okay, cool. And he, since no man can throw a disc with a machine gun wrapped around his neck, he has to go and put the machine gun down over underneath the trees. And while he's doing that, Rowdy pulls out a pistol and tells the girl to beat it and then also takes her frisbee and just chucks it. 
Well, not only that, yeah, he chucks her frisbee, and then yeah, as she's chasing after the frisbee, <laughs> Rowdy calls out and says, "Hey, hey, chick," or like whatever the girl's name was, like, "Hey, lady." No, he says, "Hey, Colleen, you got hey. a great ass." Which, like, how does he exactly, know her name? Exactly, right? Yeah, uh, how do you know your name's Colleen? First of all, and then second of all, you just toss this girl's frisbee, and then you're going to tell her she has a sweet ass. To which she responds, "You too, pilgrim." <laughs> like what what an interaction they like their whole interaction was a run on the beach to say hey we're gonna throw the frisbee but you can't throw the frisbee with us go chase your own frisbee and then hey colleen how do you know my name i don't even know but you got a night at nice ass oh you do too and that's their relationship <laughs> you yeah. too pilgrim. and, then, and so, so he, uh yeah, yeah so yeah. he's back to throwing with shades um he said like colleen had to run or something like that and so he's got this uh this like hanging satchel man bag whatever <laughs> on him rowdy does and he pulls out just like a regular black frisbee to throw to shades at first i guess is maybe just to warm shades up to the idea of a black frisbee exactly remember, it's just a regular remember, one. shades has an uncontrollable obsession with throwing frisbees it's a medical condition right and so yeah shades catches it does his dumb little (laughs) leg trick again and throws it back to rowdy who then puts that regular black frisbee back into his bag and pulls out another one that is has razor blades just uh, inserted all around the rim <laughs> which just what, what would that even do like it would just hurt yeah if he you might, he it, might but... like cut his fingers you know he like might get like a nice severe cut but like <laughs> what is what does Rowdy say is like this this is for our this is for all the this is for the Molokai yeah this is for the Molokai cops. cops exactly and tosses the frisbee who just like Shays just has like one hand up and he's like, I'm going to catch this. But then as he catches it, he catches it with his hand and his neck to make sure that the blades like caught his jugular. And he just goes like, ah, I got me. (laughs) And then Rowdy just proceeds to run away from the crime. And this gives the radio signal to Jade and the girl saying, you know, the beach is clear. You guys are ready to go. Cause the, cause right. Remember (laughs) the only defense to Romero's stronghold, was one guy with a machine gun on a bench with an uncontrollable condition to throw the frisbee around. And honestly, he probably would have just been distracted throwing a frisbee anyways if they wanted to sneak past him. <laughs> but <laughs> no, they, they wanted to kill him with a razor blade laden <laughs> frisbee. It's, so it's, whatever. It's some real but, it's some real irony shit. <laughs> this next part was actually pretty cool i thought so yeah i you know he gives a signal that we're all clear and so jade and taryn come like over in a in a dune buggy or yeah, a jeep, jeep or Rankler, something like that while donna and donna the pilot is in some sort of like one man like little aircraft yeah what do they call them like uh she's not like a paraglide paraglide yes yeah, maybe just a little paraglider, but dude, like I actually thought this was really cool how they set it up. Of like, she gets like pretty close to the uh, jeep, like as they're on the way to uh, Romero's right. hideout, 
and like it was a pretty good little stunt. Yeah, it I was. Thought. The Jeep was just going over like this little bit of a hill and um, Donna was taking off from like the beach. And when she flies in, like the Jeep's just going straight and she kind of just flies over. But there was a point where I thought that she needed to pull up her. She needed to pull up on the, the steering wheel because she needed to get some altitude because <laughs> at her like trajectory, it looked like she was just going to fly right to the back of the Jeep. But yeah, they did manage to pull it off. And the whole point was that like, yeah, Jade and Tara are going to run in. They're going to come in just guns ablazing through through uh, the fence, you know, on their Jeep. While Tara is going to, I mean, Donna's going to try and draw them out with some uh, some uh, noise grenades. I don't even, yeah, they call them like noise that. grenades, but grenades are grenades. Like, what? I, I, it was just exactly. grenades. Yeah. I mean, they were still exactly. And what's up. The, I don't understand what the <laughs> point was. You know, like they crashed through a gate like grenades aren't going to mask the sound of them invading the, te- the compound so it really served no point but the best part was is that when they pull in they crash through the fence they didn't go through the opening they crashed through the fence and jade halts the car to a stop while tara like does like a um a prone roll she does like a little barrel roll and, and like she gets prone on the ground all while like donna's throwing grenades like not even 10 feet away from her like she he's she's above her you know <laughs> throwing them down like you know a bomber throws down uh bombs but they're like 10 feet away from jade and tara like aren't you supposed to be throwing it on the bad guys why are you throwing it on the people that are like on your team yeah, this was not well thought out. It seems like they just got really lucky. Yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> they didn't just blow exactly. Up. exactly. So, I mean, all all hell breaks loose here as they invade the compound. Like first, like um, Jade and Rowdy, uh, like get into uh, uh, what they enter through the door or something like that, and they gotta go meet with a samurai fighting guy who Jade insists that he has to fight hand-to-hand combat with, and then Tara gets yes. into a altercation with Michelle slash Michael, while Michael has like a pistol, and uh, Tara has an Uzi. And then, I just love the way that they're aiming their guns, too, where they keep their arm crossed across them, and then they lay the gun like on their arm as like a standstill resting point, so it's like, oh, I gotta make sure I'm pointing straight, pew, you know, that kind of like very action <laughs> look for holding a gun, and then... Yeah, I do understand it, though. I mean, it it seems like it would give it some right. stability. Yeah, yeah, I guess, or whatever like that, but the best kill point at this point is before, of course, they catch up with Romero, is that they go in right where Edie is being held captive. Uh, <laughs> Rowdy manages to sneak in, and Edie gives him like the very like, "Oh, he's over there!" Like then uh, I'm bound, but I'm nodding my head in that direction where the bad guy is, and Rowdy's hiding behind a couch, and the other guy's peering behind like one of those like uh, Japanese curtains, those standing curtain things or whatever like that. Really silly looking stuff, but Rowdy obviously can't aim with anything other than the rocket launcher. His his reaction is to I'm gonna get out of my cover and shoot the rocket launcher and shoots it right in the chest of the bad guy who goes flying through a glass panel behind him. Just like <laughs> just not how rockets work, not not how these grenades like would go off, but he he loves right. using them in close combat. Has no 
why would the rocket have blown up a blow up doll earlier, but then doesn't explode when it Guys. hits this person like it, ten feet away? Totally, totally, exactly. <laughs> and Jade manages to like kill the kung fu fighter that he was fighting, all while like joking around. At the same time, he was making like one liners and shit like that. And then, right as Rowdy is going to meet up with Donna, you know, to make sure they're all okay with Tara and stuff like that, Jade and Edie make out. Like, <laughs> I didn't understand that in the slightest. <laughs> why they, while why saving her, I had to call for a makeout session. Yeah, man. <laughs> if you if you're looking for understanding anything at the end of this, you're, movie, you're then, talking uh, way you're, too long. Then, you're watching exactly, the wrong. Exactly. <laughs> but the last thing that happens is another rocket launcher scene because uh, earrings and the girl henchmen are trying to escape on the helicopter, and Donna actually takes the shot this time, not Rowdy, but they just blow it to smithereens and not like a normal helicopter would like where it's like would be on fire and there would be like wreckage you know like the car like the harness of the plane would still be there or excuse the helicopter it would it just was just like the blow-off doll where it was an explosion and then just a poof of smoke and everything was gone like like literally the rocket launcher (laughs) made it disappear out of thin air yeah, they uh, they probably just blew up that same like little toy helicopter that they had from right earlier exactly. And just wanted to make it you know look good, but uh, man, so I thought this part was pretty funny. So they're all <laughs> driving. Um, well, so I guess Donna must have gone ahead of them back to oh her yeah, this Taren's was so house. screwed because you're no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The scene jumps ahead yeah. to where Donna's alone, but at the same time, though, they all leave that compound together in a van, like the van that the henchmen. Right, have. and yeah, and so there's just no correlation between the timelines between where Donna is like back in her house, and then but she's also in the van with all the rest of them. I don't know, but either way, so yeah, Rowdy and Jade and Taryn are all like laughing about like, huh, like who did you kill? I killed Michael. Oh, I killed the like ninja guy. And then they're like, so which one of us killed Seth? And they all just kind of like <laughs> look at each other. Rowdy pops somehow out of the uh, like a dirt, yeah, a dirt bike. They had a dirt bike even, in there. There, yeah, dirt who bike. knows where it came from? But he just, like, <laughs> I'm gonna go finish the job. I thought it was a really funny comic time. <laughs> it was. It was. It was pretty freaking hilarious. Just like, how did they forget the main antagonist? Yeah. So Donna, she is, uh, you know, in the bathroom <laughs> getting cleaned up. And then she sees Seth, I think, comes up behind her in the mirror. And I, yeah, so she and Seth get into a, you know, fight. And it's, I mean, it's not good. It's like, like a, so, no, it's not. It's not she goes, fight. hides in a closet. He, the closet's like one of those Hawaiian hotel closets where it's held with, together with the slits. Yeah, Super it's a cheap looking one. So, like, it's got those slits. So, like, like, you can't really see through it, but it's not necessarily a, a closed oak door. You know what I'm saying? And he can't open it because it's locked. So, his idea is like, I got this knife. I'm just going to hack away at the slits with my knife. And while she. Right. And he does one slit. I know. At a time. Just. 
instead of just like breaking his arm through yeah, or breaking yeah. his leg yeah, through. It's like, I mean, this <laughs> thing's made out of like wood chips and he still can't get it. He's got to take the knife to it. All while Donna is loading a like um, harpoon gun that harpoon he gun. has in her closet yeah. and then fires it right into him like as he opens the door. So, you know, obviously he gets comeuppance there. And then Donna again has that moment where she's got like the blood rage in her eyes because she beats the shit out of him for a little bit, but doesn't finish the job. Like the fight's over, but she, he's on the ground, doesn't finish the job. And she goes to cower into the bathroom because she um, cut her hand on the knife that she, uh, Romero had. So she throws the bloody napkin into the toilet and turn, like I mentioned, because this back in prior when this was important, when that guy, when the assailant was first leaving Donna's house and tripped over, he ate shit in the garden and like hit like a lid that was on the ground. Apparently that was part of her septic system. And that's exactly where, and again, just as Matt mentioned before, the, here comes like plot B, the snake coming back into play into the movie. She manages to slide into that little pot in the ground where the septic tank was for Donna's toilet. And when she flushes the toilet, there's like an explosion. It's not like how a normal toilet would work. Like, there's just, like <laughs> smoke and light comes yeah, out of the toilet as the snake comes out. Exactly. And the toilet Someone cracks also. Bomb in the toilet. <laughs> I, it's just like, what is even happening? And like, you kind of forget about the snake every now and again until he pops back up. So this is just like the best way for him to be reintroduced. But, you know, obviously Donna is like, what? You know, like she's like <laughs> freaking out. So she, Runs out of the bathroom, closes the door. Just then, Seth comes back to life somehow. And, you know, he thinks Donna's in the bathroom. Right, so he- yeah. It's dumb how that works, though. Like, Donna, like, enters the ba- out of the bathroom and then, like, oh, Romero's right there. She hops uh, over a bed, uh, right? Yeah. She, like, turns over to her bed, and she's like, I'm going to go hide behind the other side of the bed. All while Romero's, like, getting up, like, he didn't just notice that. Donna just walked past him right there, but he get, uh, then again, he's bloodied up. He just got shot with That's a harpoon. Sure, sure. He gets up and stuff like that, and here's a crashing commotion because the snake just destroyed the um, the mirror in the bathroom, so his mind's like, oh, that's where Donna is, and slowly approaches the door, opens up the door, and just like with the husband uh, and the photographer, <laughs> he gets just gashed in the face with some fangs, and that is the killing blow for Romero is some fangs slightly to his face. And not right. the gun, not the knife to the <laughs> belly, the snake bite. The toxic know. snake gets him. But <laughs> so, yeah, Donna, she gets a gun. She like huddles down and takes a few shots at the snake who apparently eating cancerous rats just makes you like oh, impervious immune to bullets. <laughs> Because these are headshots from what what the show the camera's showing us. Just then, Rowdy comes crashing through the wall with his dirt bike, <laughs> jumps off the dirt bike, pulls out the four chamber mm. rocket launcher, <laughs> shoots the snake directly in the head. 
<laughs> and just the head pops off the snake, like none of the body again. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, really weird stuff. Because weren't we supposed to believe that Romero, like Rowdy, was going to go chase after Romero at his compound? Like, how did he end up back at Donna's house? How did they all end up back at Donna's house? But they still managed to like bust in and save the day perfectly. And Donna's like freaked out, but thank goodness, you know, he's in, she's safely in Rowdy's arms again and everything like that. <laughs> and I thought that was going to be the end of the movie. To That's be where I but, thought the end of the movie was going to be as well. But then I guess nope. we haven't wrapped up the Mr. Chang <laughs> plot line. Yeah. And thank goodness we, because Andy decided to give us everything like the intro the middle part and the demise of mr chang all within a five minute convenient block at the very very end of the movie because all we know is that this guy is named mr chang and he has some sort of connections with romero that's all we know at this point but apparently jade rowdy everyone knows where mr chang is like all of them know where he is no like i said there's no there's no surprises in this film other than Michael Michelle for the most part. Like, no, everyone understands who each other are. They know who the characters are. There's no, like, investigation to try and figure out who these people are. They just know. I guess it's called the agency's intel or whatever like that, but everyone knows everyone. And everyone's there, including JJ, JJ for which has reason. no business being on this mission, but him and Taryn are a thing. So JJ's here along for the ride. <laughs> and like Rowdy and Don are like, Hey, we're going to go take care of this. We'll be back in a minute. And Rowdy proceeds to give Donna the like 30 second intro to like, here's Mr. Chang. He's got a Japanese mother and a biological British father. And he's a bad guy. And he's got a, he's got a henchman who likes to murder people. That's basically it. But yes. when they walk, yeah, go ahead. God, that, I, I feel like he gives the henchman, he talks up the henchman way too much because he's like a murderous henchman, you know, like he'll, uh, he, he'll, he'll kill anybody on the spot, you know, like uh, nobody's ever been able to touch Mr. Chang. And then all they do <laughs> is just walk in and hit the henchman with some nunchucks. Like I, this henchman didn't pose any issues at all. <laughs> I was about to make that mention myself. You're totally right. He, he just gets double teamed with Donna with the fists and Rowdy just not using nunchucks like they're supposed to be used. No one knows how to use nunchucks in this movie, but he just keeps first Taryn throws it at the henchman. And then now we got this like, you know, now we got this bodyguard that's just getting beaten down by Rowdy and Mr. Chang is just like sneakily trying to grab one of his like ceremonial Japanese swords on the side of his wall just to defend himself because his henchman's getting the shit kicked out of him. God, dude, this is the worst henchman I have ever seen. And yeah, they gave him this- so much talking up too. <laughs> Right, all right. In the five-minute introduction that we got with Chang and the henchman, about four minutes of it was dedicated to the henchman that just got beaten to death. And so... Basically, there's like this hint throughout the film that these guys are supposed to be like police officers. Like they give they give the bad guys, the assailants, an opportunity to like freeze, like don't do it. They say that multiple times. 
but like of course they're still shooting their guns at them so they have to like kill them because of self-defense and they were given this same option here to mr chang because mr chang it has the sword right in front of them and rowdy just says like a real smirk line like oh chang you messed up you brought a sword to a gunfight and he has like this like german luger like why does rowdy have this random like german antique gun with him and then donna out of nowhere never used this weapon once throughout the movie kind of like this colt 45 like desert eagle like massive revolver magnum gun right here revolver and it's like one of those like uh pulp fiction scenes where they're both holding the gun at chang and stuff like that but it's supposed to be funny because rowdy's like oh i got this little sissy gun and donna's got this ginormous huge gun and so Rowdy proceeds to say his one-liner, like I said, and in response, Chang's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna toss the samurai samurai sword like a dagger at them. Like this is the way to win this fight." And he just like spear throws a dagger, but like gets blown away by Donna that blasts him with the magnum. Who he proceeds to fall out the window fall off the suite and down, down, down. And he falls to the concrete where Jade and JJ and Tara and are all there. And JJ has a one-liner himself there, like a sports-related one-liner since he's a sportscaster and everything like that. But like was completely unfazed of this human being that just fell 15 stories with a, and crushed to the ground below in front of him. Right. He wouldn't have seen a murder before. So. Yeah, he's a, he's a sportscaster. Like, what's he have to do with yeah. murder? He just was like, we just brushed it off. But we do go back up to the uh, the penthouse, Chang's penthouse, and see that the sword is just stuck in the wall between. Well, yeah, between the two of Donna, still shaking, probably. But yeah, exactly. But like, <laughs> Mr. Chang who has all this money, he's supposed to be this dastardly, diabolical, he's supposed to be the boss of the boss because he works with Romero, and Romero's supposed to be like the second-handed, I think he's either um, a co, he's like an underling of Chang, um, it's not like you said, or he's working with them as like partners. Yeah, but, I think partners or associates or something like that. Exactly. Other than the snake, that makes absolutely no point in this movie. Uh, there's just no point of it being there. Chang is a very close second because all we understand is he is a Japanese British looking guy that likes toy helicopters. His cane looks like a magician's wand. And when it came down to his final fight, he decided to take his ceremonial sword. Unlike any of his Japanese heritage that came from his Japanese mother, he decides to throw the sword at them. <laughs> like a spear. <laughs> yeah, like a spear. It gets blown away out of his suite into the ground. And that is supposed to be our main antagonist. Yeah, that was a uh, <laughs> that was a pretty lame way to take him out. But then again, I mean, I was already done with the movie when the snake got blown up. So this was just one exactly. more Extra. cherry on top. Exactly. Like, you know, at the end of the day, Andy did want to fill in stuff with boobs and guns and explosions and this whole other side plots with the, uh, the, the snake and stuff like that. But the movie came out to 90 minutes, like, which is That's true. It's like a that's not, that's kind of a long movie, you know. Like I don't know, you could you could have cut the crap out of this film and still had maybe like a, an uh you know an hour an hour and fifteen minutes worth of film. 
that you would have been better. But no, Andy's like, I need to put these snake scenes in. I need to have Chang look like an idiot while he dies. <laughs> Probably could have had JJ cut out of it altogether. Yeah. But yeah, that whole sports interview thing that we didn't even mention, guys, because it, 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 it's it's above us. Mentioning. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it went right past our heads. It's too much to mention. And like I said, it was just honestly for Andy – uh, to have uh, another shot of his cameo because, like he said, he was a, he's this big t- big shot New York uh, uh, manager type thing. But that's how the movie ends. Basically, we do have one final wrap up scene with them all together out on a boat, and yeah, it's, oh I mean, it's just a real brief scene where you know they're like, "Hey, the mission's complete. Too bad that we have to send you know the diamonds back to the agency because we're all." <laughs> law enforcement agents and uh then it's taryn who's you know if you recall she's like a civilian she's just working with donna but she's not actually you know sworn to anything she says well i just so happen to know where the second set of diamonds is and you know i'm not legally obligated to you know turn that in if i find yeah, it like, so uh, we're all rich exactly it's like none of you law enforcement people know where it is i'm the only one that knows where it is and the people that were to claim it i've all been dead they all just got killed by us and so like jade goes to rowdy's like is this true and rowdy's like yes it is and she's like and i have no problem with sharing it with my friends and then it pans out and they're like cheers happiness so now they're all criminals they're all accomplices to criminals with these dirty diamonds that they all have and uh (laughs) they went from zero they went from hero to zero real fast all within a 30 second like closing scene of this film yeah i I kind of i mean whatever that was like a good way to wrap it up i guess yeah it was like trust me i got no problem with them yeah i got no problem with them wrapping it up but like i don't think andy realized that by you saying these things and you spent the whole time making these movies sound like these guys were law enforcement but the agency and stuff like that they're actually criminals now they're gonna end the movie as criminals and accomplices to criminals well hey i guess we gotta watch the other uh Andy Sedaris movies to see where things go. <laughs> I don't know about you, man, but I can use a break from these '80s action-packed movies, man. <laughs> if we've seen, if we've seen a couple now in the last few episodes, this one holds. Like I said in the very beginning, this one holds the cake. Okay, I totally agree with that. We could take a break from the uh, '80s actions movies for a little while, <laughs> just for a little bit, just for a little bit. Trust me, I want to get back into this dirty, this dirty business, but. um so I I know we already answered this, but I guess I also want to ask this to the audience as well. Who do you, if any of you guys that have seen this movie, who do you think is the scummier guy? Is it Ashley or is it Rowdy? Those are good questions to ask yourselves. They're both scum of the earth. They both got terrible lines throughout this movie, and uh, the sexist things they say were terrible. But let's let you decide on that. And um, but I did have one question that I wanted to ask Matt was how and why did he decide to come across this movie and wanted it to be on our next guest list. I wanted to ask at the beginning, but you know, better late than never. I had seen this movie once before and it's on Cinemax when you were like 14 years old at three (laughs) o'clock in the morning. Right. Yeah. Right. No, that was uh, some other things I was getting back at that time that didn't have all the action, but um, (laughs) (laughs) so I I had seen some, uh, some scenes from this movie, you know, including the uh, infamous (laughs) Frisbee or Frisbee throwing scene. And also, um, 
the uh, skateboarder scene on. They used to uh, show clips of it on like different shows on G4, which that channel is long gone now, but it used to be like a video game based channel that. Uh, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Great thing called like attack of the show and different shows like that. And so the movie got on my radar at that point, but I only watched it the full thing, like maybe three years ago. And as soon as we started, you know, talking about creating this movie podcast, I knew that I at some point had to force you to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I figured, uh, I figured maybe lull you into, uh, you know, a safe sense of all right, we're picking some real movies here before I hit you with Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> you know it's so funny that you say this right now because you're forcing me into this maybe every 10 or 15 episodes or so we'll be just putting on some real terrible film some like some things that should be on mystery science theater 3000 type terrible movies that we can talk about so who knows maybe that'll be a segment we'll let the uh the viewers here decide whether or not that's going to be a thing or not but uh, oh, absolutely i've never seen mac and me have you ever heard of that movie <laughs> no but i've heard of that i've heard of that and there's I've uh, um, I've also know this movie called uh, Whale Rider. You ever heard of Whale Rider? I've never heard of Whale Rider. That sounds like it might be a Skinamax movie. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't worry, it's not. It's not a Whale Rider. You know, Hard Ticket to Ride Hawaii wouldn't seem like a Skinamax movie, but uh, <laughs> here we are, and we sure got <laughs> our scenes from that. But I will be sure to mention that to you in later dates, and maybe we'll, maybe you'll we'll come across our episode feed one of these days, but. Uh, I enjoyed this movie. It was rotten to the core all the way from the minute, the minute it started to the ending, listening to the soundtrack and the terrible singers to all the frontal nudity and the, 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 the ending of <laughs> Mr. Chang. I, <laughs> I loved how terrible it was. Well, I'm glad that I could introduce it to you. And uh, for any of our listeners who hadn't seen it before, who it, you know joined us for this awful B-movie journey, uh, I'm glad that you know it could come on your radars too. So direct all your hate to our social medias at <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, we have an account called at that movie was on Twitter. We have an account called underscore or no at underscore that movie was. So you know direct all your hate over there if uh, you know hate you hated this movie or your praise and thanks if you love the movie. Tell us uh, whether Rowdy <laughs> or Ashley was somewhere. <laughs> we need to know the answer, though. If you actually do love this movie, you have to come up with a pretty like reasonable explanation right now because there are so many things that we've drawn from this film that point otherwise that I would love to hear uh, like a devil's advocate. I want to hear the opposing side of why this movie is uh, worth having on your DVD collection. Oh, I love this movie in its own way. You know what I mean? It, I mean, it's it's an experience. <laughs> when you say a movie is an experience, you're it's it, it's only setting it up more of how bad it was. <laughs> oh, that's very true. All right. All right. Well, good choice. Good choice. Everyone stay in tune. It's my choice of a film next week. And uh, we're going to be moving out of the 80s and into the early 2000s. Oh, so, thank God. Uh, <laughs> had enough of this so, 80s. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Catch you then. Thank you for joining us. See you later. <laughs>